Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us Pastor Josh Smith, and we sit down and talk about um, his teaching, the Titus 10 Foundations for Godly Manhood. I I want to say in the beginning of this, Pastor Josh was very kind. Uh, my internet on this day in Nairobi when I recorded this was not kind um, to me, and he was very patient. And um, it cut in and out several times, and if it seems choppy um, in some points of the interview, that's not his fault. That is just the internet in Kenya um, not cooperating as we went throughout this interview. But he was a pro at it. He rolled with it. He didn't get frustrated or irritated. Uh, I'd like to say that I didn't, but I did. Um, but he, he, he just rolled with it, and it went really well. He has some great encouragement, some great wisdom for us as men um, to move away from passivity, to walk in the um, in the authority that God has given us in our homes. Um, just really felt challenged um, by what uh, Pastor Josh shares with us, and um, I think you'll be encouraged also. Um, do want to ask you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth, and Dick answers uh, listeners' questions. It's a phenomenal time and just a great interaction. I love getting to to read the questions and then uh, get the, getting to ask them um, to Dick, which is which is always a, a great time. Do want to ask you to continue to listen into the podcast and subscribe to it. I know the ones that I subscribe to are the ones I listen to. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend, Pastor Josh. Pastor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited about this time. Perfect. Pastor, we got to talk a little bit before we jumped in. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself before we jump into some of the questions that I have for you today? Sure. So my name is Josh Smith. I'm the pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in uh, Athens, right outside of Athens, Georgia, big college town where University of Georgia is. Wow. So it's been a good couple of years of football for us. <laughs> uh, yes, it has. Not everybody cares, but I'm saying it anyway. Yeah. So, um, but I grew up the son of an evangelist, a traveling evangelist, and uh, I am a fourth generation preacher on both sides of my family. So I tell people I tried to sell insurance, but we just preach. That's what our family does. So, uh, and then um, I went to college and then for about two and a half years was overseas as a missionary in Central Europe, uh, came back, did international student ministry at, at Duke University for about three wow. years. Okay. And um, had just really, my wife and I both got married thinking we'd be overseas, but for some reason God has us here and we are uh, committed to sending out missionaries. That's a huge thing for us. Um, we're yeah. going to set on a hundred pastors and missionaries in the next 10 years from our church. So wow, that's kind of some of the things going on, but that's, that's exciting. And that's father, awesome. do you have kids? I have five children. I have a wife named Andrea. I have five kids. I have four daughters, okay. uh, 18, 16, uh, 13 and 10. And you don't know if I got that right or not. So (laughs) at the very end there, we have a son named Josiah who's seven. So I tell people I was going to write a book on parenting until I had a son (laughs) and then realized I don't know anything at all. (laughs) Uh, well, I have a son who's, he's going to be 17. His name's Josiah also. So um, that's great. Definitely, definitely have that in common. This is a question for you. So you said fourth generation pastor, is that correct? That's exactly right. How did you, now you saw that as far as the generations of people being pastors, a lot of times in my experience, sons and kids that grow up in a PK family, sometimes they they want to take a different direction in life rather than ministry. 
how what were examples were put in place for you that you decided hey this is what i you felt the calling of god but you were willing to engage that rather than run from it sure i think my dad wasn't i don't mean this negatively just wasn't great at that like he he would talk a lot about you know you're going to be a preacher someday yeah. god's giving you a voice for a preacher you know those kind yeah. of things but you were right uh but my mom was better at just anything i took an interest in she went for it she mm. never talked about being in a ministry now she told me once i felt called to ministry that the day she was born, God gave her a Bible promise that I was going to be uh, wow. in ministry. She didn't yeah. tell me that until later. And so I think for me, I had the privilege of having an opportunity to see ministry, I think, done in, in a fairly healthy way. I mean, all of us can get a little cynical. Sure. But uh, my dad was a pastor of a good church, and then he yeah. started traveling as an evangelist. And so I didn't have a lot of anger towards that. I think maybe my dad traveled a lot when I was growing up. So I was okay. a little more sensitive to that and wanting to do things maybe a little differently with my family. Uh, but I just, I felt like I was encouraged when I felt that direction, but sure. not really pushed that much, which was helpful. Titus, um, I got to read your book. I read it actually a few times. It rings to something that I'm ex- passionate about, excited about is ministry to men and challenging men to be who God's called them to be. So what are some reasons you focused on Titus? Um, yeah, I don't know exactly the answer to that. It's funny. Uh, the truth is uh, people are kind of asking me when I'm writing my next book and I tell them it took me 15 years to write this one. So it's going to be a while. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've written a few other things, but so as a, as a young pastor, I walked into a church where I had some older charter members, guys that were there when the church was founded. And they would tell me stories about the sacrifice they used to make and not enough money in the offering at the end of the service. So they would take money out of their pocket to pay the preacher and mm. clean the church on Saturdays. I mean, stuff that um, that you just don't know normal guys doing anymore. And they were dying. I was doing their funeral. And I didn't see another group of men like them. Men that mm. not only loved their church, loved their family, loved Jesus, but just were really had just this unusual commitment to the Lord. And so I just, I wanted to raise up men and I needed them just just pragmatically. I needed men to be strong. Sure. And um, we had a really great, strong women and strong women's ministry as a lot of churches do, but no men. So I just started praying and I had, I really had never thought about Titus in that regard, Hmm. but it's 46 verses. And I think the primary context is the church in Crete was being torn apart by rebellious men. Hmm. It tells us in chapter one, they were upsetting whole families. They were teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach, wow. uh, and they must be silenced. Hmm. And the answer that Paul gave to Titus was, find men, verse hmm. five, chapter one. So go find some elders and put them in place. Yeah. So I think the whole context of the church was bad men are in charge, and that's killing the church. So the answer is we need some good men. Yeah. And then, of course, he talks a lot about the ministry to women and those things in chapter two, but I don't know. I just think something about that struck me that this is a book that's going to be really good for men. And I started teaching it verse by verse. Just yeah. I started with 10 men at a time around a table, verse by verse through Titus. Then after about four years, I started seeing these themes emerge. Hmm. And that's where I came up with these 10 foundations for manhood. Yeah, that's exciting. And and yeah, so the, the, the Bible helps us in many ways. Um, and so you talk about the distortions of manhood and the realities of what biblical manhood looks like um, and, and the idea of original intentions of what God created man to be. Can you just share a little bit more about that for us? Yeah. So, I, you know, when you start talking about manhood, I think you've got to go back to Genesis 1 and 2. I mm-hmm. had someone tell me when I first got into ministry, if you understand Genesis 1 and 2 right, you can get the rest of the Bible right. And I really mm-hmm. thought that was a weird thing to say. It made no mm-hmm. sense to me. 
And the more I've come to know the Lord and the Bible, the more I've realized that's really true. I mean, so many things, cultural issues we're dealing with here in the States are founded in Genesis 1 and 2. Like, we get that wrong. So I just look back at, at what is the man God wants us to be? Well, Adam's the prototype of that. And of course, Jesus, the second Adam. But we see Adam in the garden uh, taking dominion, working and keeping. He and Eve's relationship was one in which they were united together in taking dominion. And um, that's that's the prototype of yeah. the kind of man God wants us to be. That's, that's man before sin distorted it. And so I talk sure. about God's original intention but then I talk about distortion. So sin took your manhood and just broke it completely. Hmm. So I, 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 when I talk about it, I try to take this picture of like Humpty Dumpty, you know. So yeah, uh, somebody take a tack hammer to an egg. Well, that's what happened to your manhood. Like it's hmm. just shattered. Hmm. And so, you know, I start with this idea of dominion. What is it that God's created us to be? And that's to work and keep. We can talk more about that. And then that was shattered by sin. And so now we've abused basically uh, what God has called us to do. And the gospel alone can start putting us back together. Yeah. So I just want to go back and say, hey, there's a vision for you of, of manhood. And it's yeah. not just pragmatic, you know, go camping and, you know, learn how to be a man's man. There's something deeper than that, that yeah. God has created you to be. Yeah. What are some of the common distortions that you see in, in 2023 in men today? Sure. I think... um Abuse, maybe abuse of authority, I think is one men try to abuse their authority. So I talk a lot about walking in authority. I have a whole chapter on authority. One of the things I say in that chapter is that you can't walk in authority unless you walk under authority. Hmm. And Jesus was a man under authority. And so Jesus walked under authority and in authority. So I think a lot of guys, when you walk in authority and not under authority, you abuse authority. Okay. So I think that's a, that's a common issue. Um, I think I think passivity is probably the number one um, distortion of manhood. Hmm. So I think men are in a sense afraid to be men now. Yeah. Um, and so they're afraid to step up and to, to do the courageous things yeah. and to, as, um, David told Solomon and, um, as Paul towards the church in Corinth, act like a man, Yeah. show yourself a man. I just think men are really passive. Um, they're passive at home. Hmm. They're passive at the church. Um, even if they might be leaders in the workplace, they don't lead at home. So I think passivity is a huge one. Sure. Um, yeah, I would say isolation is another one. I mean, I think a okay. lot of guys are isolated. They don't live in community. That's a huge, um, problem with, with broken manhood. For sure. Um, and, and this idea of passivity, is there things scripturally wise, how do you encourage him biblically that that's not the role? Um, because honestly, for me, passivity is just kind of the the path of least resistance. I mean, that's how I would think it. You know what I mean? And and a lot of times we take the path of least resistance. Um, how, is there biblical examples you share with somebody to say, hey, this is, this is God's plan where men aren't passive, um, but yeah. they're actually focusing and active in what God's called them to do? Sure. Well, I think going back to, to Adam, so I think okay. on this idea that even in this idea that Adam and Eve were both called to take dominion, it was clearly Adam that was to take the lead sure. in that area. And the reason we know that is because in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sin, God doesn't call Eve. He says, Adam, where are you? Yeah. And he holds him responsible. And hmm. Adam, you know, I, I've i often said that, and I just I just say this anecdotally, but maybe the, the first sin was not Eve eating of the fruit, but Adam not protecting her. Hmm. Uh, maybe Adam, because it tells us that Adam was standing there. I, I all until I really got it from Sunday school. I always thought Adam was somewhere else when he was being tempted. 
And it says that Adam was standing with her. Hmm. And so Adam stood there and watched as Eve got abused um, and taken advantage of by the enemy and did absolutely nothing. Wow. Could you unpack the quote for us? The crowd will crumble and the, and the disciples will stand. How does this yeah. impact the, the idea of a Christ-like man? No, I think that's good. So I, I really came to this discovery in my study of the Gospel of Mark a few years ago. I, I kept noticing that there was a distinction between the crowd and the disciples in all the Gospels, particularly I was seeing it in Mark. So hmm. Jesus would have a crowd around him, and then he would speak to the disciples. You see this in the beginning of Matthew 5 as well. What I began to realize is that when you think about the crowd, the crowd is those who are interested in Jesus, fascinated with Jesus. They like to be around when Jesus is talking. But when Jesus says something hard, they leave. Or when Jesus asks for something, they leave. And what I realized is the majority of men, Christian men, are in the crowd. Well, I'm not going to say Christian men. The the majority of men are in the crowd. I just feel like a lot of the men, even in, in the churches where I've served, they're just part of the crowd. They like Jesus. They're fascinated with Jesus. They may or may not know the Lord, but when you ask them to start making sacrifices and doing hard things, they don't. And ultimately, the crowd's not going to last. So if a man is out in the crowd, there's going to come to a point where Jesus asks something of him and he's going to leave. And so kind of my whole philosophy of men's ministry is I want to get men out of the crowd. Like I want to move men outside of the Sunday morning crowd and to get them into a place where they're confronted with Jesus. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. And, uh, that idea of men being crowd, I, you know, someone I read somewhere the idea of just being a fan of Jesus rather than being a disciple of Jesus, and I think that would kind of go along that same lines of just being there. Um, and did you see? And through COVID, did you see that play out where men that were just in the crowd when people came back to church? Did men in in your part of the world did the men come back, or did they just seem to kind of be on the periphery? Uh, I, so I would say culturally. Uh, this has been true. Culturally, I've talked to a lot of pastors who have really suffered after COVID. They did not see people come back. The fringe people were just kind of weeded out. Sure. Our church has not experienced that as much. We've seen yeah. um, a little bit different, but um, the reality is just most pastors I'm talking to have still not had people come back. And that's yeah. because the the once or twice a monthers who are spending more time with uh, travel ball and those kind of things that church is kind of on the outside. And when it when they got three or four months to not have to go to church, a lot of those guys just did not come back. And that's why it's just important for us while they're there to not just be satisfied to preach to them, to teach them, to see them, to be glad that they've come to church, yeah. but to call them out into, yeah. into something a little bit deeper than coming on a Sunday morning. Yeah, that's a good word. Good word. You mentioned that um, Satan is not passive, but Satan is aggressive. Um how does that understanding that we have an enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy, once again, kind of circling back to the idea of passivity, um, how does that speak to the point that, men we need to be active? Well, that's good. I, I tell this story. I don't tell it in the book, actually, but I tell it when I teach this, this material. Um, I Somebody sent me a video a while back, and I don't usually watch these videos. I hate these kind of viral videos, I think, because I have four daughters, but it was at a train station in New York City. And uh, a woman got approached by a man and the man started to assault the woman. And he not only tried to take her purse, but she held on and then he hit her and all this stuff. Hmm. What was shocking to me was not the assault, but it was the amount of men that were videoing it. And the guy that was videoing it showed like four or five men watching it while it happened. What I thought was that's a really good picture of what is happening in most families, most churches. Hmm. A bunch of men are standing around watching while the enemy assaults people. 
Hmm. So the enemy is assaulting our children. I mean, he's coming hmm. after them. He's very aggressive. Yeah. Uh, he is extremely subtle. And hmm. I just think even the way that uh, media, movies, culture is constantly has an agenda. Yeah. And so there's just this assault, 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 assault all the time that's very clear and very subtle. And I feel like most dads, most fathers, most men in the church are just standing and watching it. Hmm. And they're doing nothing. So hmm. that's what this idea of an aggressive enemy and a passive man yeah. is a really bad combination because the enemy will win your kids if you're not aggressive. And I that's really the context of my chapter on authority is that a man has to step into his God-given authority in his home. And really, that's the exertion of his authority over the enemy hmm. and to stand against that. Uh, but to fight this spiritual battle that has to be fought. You just, I think it's important to realize your kids, your family are being constantly assaulted. Yeah. Do you think, do you think men, men are not seeing it today or you think they see it and they don't know what to do now that it's a phenomenal illustration. They obviously saw the the woman being assaulted, but you talked about some of those spiritual battles, maybe in the home. Um, Are they just insensitive to it? They've been numb to it. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Yes, yes, yes. To however many questions you ask, all of them are yes. So I think there is um, probably primarily just a lack of recognition that there's something really dangerous out there. Hmm. I mean, that you know, I, I don't know about the context you come from, but, but most people in my context just don't think about spiritual warfare at all. And oh, they don't sure. think about a massive battle that's being waged. Yeah. I mean, the enemy is waging war. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, I mean, the idea of warfare, this is why we call it spiritual warfare. So I just think there is this just ignorance, just yeah. this simplicity of mind, like Proverbs talks about, just we're just not thinking deeply about what's really going on. So I think there's yeah. that. And then I think, I think men in general tend to feel really defeated already. Hmm. So one of the things when I was writing this book, I didn't just want to get the content right. I wanted to get the tone right. Okay. There had been this movement among men, I would say in the last probably 10, 15 years, where kind of the way we taught men was to just tell them what losers they are. And and I didn't want to have that tone. I'm convinced if you got most guys to be honest, they already feel like losers in most areas of their life. And even if they feel really good at work, and I see this a lot, so they feel really confident at work, they come home and feel like they don't know how to be a husband. They don't know how to be a father. Hmm. And so they just don't do anything. So I feel like a lot of it is men are already defeated. And I will tell you this, like if you're struggling with pornography, if yeah. you've got any kind of addiction like that, any kind of hidden sin, then you're you're going to even feel more defeated. Sure. So if a man just has gotten beat up all week, he's not going to have a lot of confidence to step in and to yeah. lead. Yeah. And so that's what I feel like is happening. Yeah, man. You know, I... I'd like to say that I arrived in Burkina Faso with an understanding of spiritual warfare and the realities of the enemy. I grew up in West Virginia, saw some things, but, you know, I, we hadn't been there too long, went into the market, and there was a guy levitating in the middle of the market. Um, and he wasn't levitating in the name of Jesus. Uh, and um, it made me realize there is, and if I wouldn't have saw it with my own eyes, I'd have thought somebody's telling a story and people listening in might think I'm telling a story. But what he was, um, you know, he was at the same time, anyway, he was saying, and I asked the the pastor who was with me. I said, "What is he saying?" He kept saying, "He said if you don't if you don't give me money, the spirits that are in me are going to come into you." Um, and it was this threat, and um, it made me realize I was not in Wally Ford, West Virginia anymore. And there was an enemy, um, you know, that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so it just uh, 
smack in the face, living overseas kind of can, can do that to you for sure. That's true. Sure. I think it was my first exposure to that was in Mali. And I think uh, that mm. was 2006. I think when I was in Mali, uh, West Africa, the first time I started to see some, I mean, stuff that when I came back and told stories, they thought I was making yeah. it up. So, yeah. and I just think in, 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 in the Western culture in in the States, the enemy gets us different ways in that. Like the enemy oh, doesn't sure. manifest himself as much like that yep. as much as he does in much more subtle ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just as real and just as dangerous. And and it's just as powerful for sure. Yeah, and um, there's more than, there's more than one way to win a battle. Um, you know what I mean? And so there's definitely for sure that idea of authority. And so, some, you know, in the past, or I don't want to say the past, at times men have abused authority rather than walking in the authority that God has given them. Could you just share what the difference looks like um, between abusing authority and then walking in a biblical authority that God has given men? Yeah, it's so funny. I This was a chapter I struggled with, and I hesitated. There was a couple of chapters that I that I struggled with. Dominion had to be talked about, but I struggled with that one. Authority I struggled with because there are there are a lot of men that abuse authority, and, and there's a lot of women, I think, that have been under that mm-hmm. and have been really hurt by that, and children and their churches and everything. Sure. The problem is the end of Titus chapter 2, um, Titus uh, is told by Paul to teach these things uh, with all authority and let no one disregard you. Uh, it may be my favorite verse in Titus. It's a very strong verse. And so what he's saying is Titus, I've taught you about the gospel. I've taught you about the role of men and women in the home and in the church. I've taught you all these things and the church is suffering. And these things that I'm teaching you are the answer. Hmm. And so I, it's almost like he wonders if Titus might have some of the timidity of Timothy. And he says, Titus, you talk about these things with all authority, but the things that he's supposed to teach with authority are the things that are true and right. Yeah. And so again, going back to what I said a little bit at the beginning of the podcast, that this begins uh, by walking under authority. The only authority I have is authority I've received uh, yeah. from the Lord. Sure. So uh, I don't have authority over your family or your church, uh, yeah. but I have some authority over my family and my church. And yeah. so my responsibility to that is to, and I guess here's what I mean by authority, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to what okay. God is saying to me and my role, my hmm. God-given assignment. I have a chapter on the difference between identity and assignment. Yeah. So what is my given assign, God-given assignment? What has God called me to do? And I must then do that with this sense that I've been called by God to do this and say this and to not do it and not say it is disobedient to the Lord. Wow. So that's kind of what I mean by that idea about authority. And then even standing up and taking my place against the enemy on behalf of my family. Hmm. I think I tell a story in the book. I get confused on what I wrote in the book and what I just teach. But uh, that my daughter was away at a camp and it was like three o'clock in the morning. My phone rang. It's nightmare. You know, who knows what's going on? But she's just really struggling with anxiety and having a real panic, something. And um, man, I'm so far away and I feel so helpless and I can't go pick her up. And I just realized that at that moment, like I have to fight for her. Like I got to get on my knee. I got to take my stand against the enemy and I've got to walk in that authority that God's given me and and fight for her. But it's, it's practical things on, I mean, this sounds silly, but how do, what am I, what clothes do my kids wear? And my girl, what are my girls wearing when they go out of the house? And what am I going to say no to and yes to with my kids? Well, that's some of that thing where God has given me authority as a father. And for me to not walk in that authority can be extremely dangerous. So there is a balance there, but the key to the balance and not abusing authority is knowing I only have authority in as much as Christ gives it to me. And I am an extension. This is Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me. Now go therefore. I am an extension of the authority of Christ. So any authority that is abused or ungodly 
like what was happening in Crete in yeah. Titus 1 is not God's authority. Yeah. So it really sure. starts with submission and humility. And and do you think, have you seen men that maybe that have not walked in that authority or maybe abused the authority? Is it something that they can change, they can grow in, that they that God can work in their hearts and their minds? Or is it, yeah, is that is that a fair question? Absolutely. It's a very question. So one of the things I say a lot when I teach the Titus 10, and uh, I don't think I say it in the book, but there's two most important postures for a man. Number one, on his knees, humble before God. And number two, standing up in his God-given authority. Hmm. I like to think about that. I like, And when I do a men's retreat, I usually start by saying, let's get on our knees. Let's get in the right position before God. Sure. And our church gets on our knees every Sunday morning. So that's kind of one of, the, one of our cultural yeah. habits. And so we get to start with this position of, okay, I'm under the authority of, of Jesus. So if Jesus tells me to do something, I have to do it. Yeah. That's my call. And that's kind of the what I'm talking about when I say authority. And then so I get up off my knees and I stand uh, like uh, Paul talks about in Philippians uh, chapter one at the end there, uh, that we stand together. And then I have to take my stand and say, all right, now I've got to do what God's called me to do. So absolutely the Lord can change that. But it's got to start not with a sense that I need to be more authoritative, but it yeah. starts with I have to be more humbled to receive from the Lord to hear what God has for me. The, I'm memorizing right now Psalm 62, which says, um, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. Uh, mm -hmm. He alone is my salvation. So this idea of, of this hearing from the Lord, what is God calling me to do? What are my assignments from God? And then those are the things yeah. that I walk in authority in. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, I've i seen in the past men that um, I've walked alongside, maybe they had been uh, passive in the home when it came to the spiritual, the spiritual role. The, their wife had filled that role and they just walk in one day and declare, hey, now I'm the spiritual authority of the house and I'm going to take over. It doesn't normally go so well. Um, and, uh, because they, they haven't, they haven't shown that they're faithful and that they're going to do it. And, um, I appreciate what you, you talk about that, that being humble and starting on our knees and, and taking a stand and walking in that with humility, because if it's not done in humility, man, I, you can, it can create, it can create some tension for sure. Well, it's true. And whenever a guy comes to me and says that, hey, listen, this happens to me a lot. They hear the Titus 10, they read the book, they go through the study with me and they come and say, I failed. I need to start walking in this in the home. Well, the first yeah. thing I say is go home and start doing the dishes. Yeah. Like go home and start working. Like don't go in and say, hey, I need to just don't say what you're going to do. Just do it. So open up the Bible at dinner and read sure. a passage. Yeah. Uh, go and pray over one of your children and start working at home. I talk a lot about how men who can be hard workers at work are passive at home. They're lazy at home. I talk true. about buttons at home. And so one of the little phrases I use a lot is go to work and work hard, go home and work hard and go to bed tired. And so obviously, <laughs> obviously I understand that we all need rest. And so sure. we bring all of those things into our life. I yeah. just feel like if a man really wants to lead well at home, Go home and help his wife and yeah. do the hard work and yeah. engage with his children. Don't just sit, yeah. but be engaged. And yeah. um, that's where you start taking some real leadership in the home. Yeah, for sure. One of the one of the fascinating things that you share about is the difference between character and talent and how, how they kind of differ. Would you share a little bit about that for us? Sure. So I, I think a lot of guys coast on their talent. Um, okay. You know, I've since that I, I have this story I tell that uh, when I was in seminary, I did a uh, I skipped the first day of preaching class 
And then I just went to the second day. Well, what I didn't realize the first day, they said, you're supposed to prepare a five minute little speech for the second day. Okay. So I was up and they said, go. And so I did it. And I got down and one of my best friends looked at me and he said, your biggest struggle, your entire ministry is going to be your ability to wing it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think what I've realized is, you know, that's, that's the difference. Like talent can give you the ability to get up and talk. Just sure. talk. I don't have a problem getting up and talking, yeah. but the movement of the Holy Spirit of God is going to be based on character, on who I am yeah. as a man. Uh, am I a Psalm 1 man? Am I a man mm-hmm. that's seeking the Lord? Am I a man that's on my knees and, and behind closed doors? Sure. Am I seeking what God wants me to say? So that's why when Paul talks to Titus, he says, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, find good men and put them in place. Question, well, what do these good men look like? And then yeah. he gives these qualities of an elder. But I love what Gene Getz years ago wrote a book called The Measure of a Man. And he says those qualities for an elder, that's just a picture of what a good man is supposed to be. That's a godly man. So okay. don't look at that and say those are elder qualifications. That's that's a picture of a godly man. Yeah. And so I take those qualifications and say that's the character that we're trying to be. So let's think about the inner man. Okay. Who is it that God is calling us to be? And let's focus on that. And your talent combined with character is extremely powerful. Your yeah. talent without character is going to crumble at some point. Yeah. And I think we've seen that. I mean, in, at least in the church world, we've seen men running on talent and eventually it, they, they do crumble underneath of it. Um, morally, you know, I mean, sometimes their their talent is greater than their character can support. And um yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a challenge for all of us because I think we at least me I would drift towards talent rather than character and um, mm-hmm. the natural because you know talent doesn't take a whole lot of work um, character there's a lot of work and discipline that goes into it and uh, the challenge of the challenge of keeping that that in front of us so do you some of the qualities you mentioned of you mentioned Psalms one there and then some other ones are there some that you that you think are vital you could share with us? Cause I'm sure I'm going to get emails from people saying, why didn't you ask that question? So I'm going to ask uh-huh. it. So I don't get the emails. Um, so I would say number one, and I'm just thinking context of, of the book sure. of Titus. Number one is self-control. Okay. That is the, the most repeated theme probably in Titus when it comes to the instruction for men and women. So when it, when it talks about, um, when it talks about the character in chapter one, there's the extreme emphasis on things that demands that self-control. Even if you talk about things like not addicted to much wine, not angry, all, well, those are matters of self-control. Yeah. Like half of the character qualities are rooted in self-control, not greedy for gain. That's Hmm. self-control. But then when he talks to the old men in chapter two, he says the old men should be self-controlled. Okay. When he talks to the women and then when he talks to young men, he only gives one thing, be self-controlled. It's almost as if he says to young men, don't worry about anything else. I mean, because mm-hmm. he just gave like seven or eight things to the men and seven or eight things to the women. And he says, young men, be self-controlled. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is if you can win that battle at a young age, then you're going to be able to, to build a foundation to put a lot of character on. Yeah. But you've got to win the battle of self-control. And I think if you were to look at the 46 verses of Titus, you would be amazed um, at how often there's an emphasis on building self-control. So I think that's, that's number one. I think the other idea of being blameless or above reproach there, Hmm. because that blamelessness is really an overarching quality, blameless in your character, blameless in the home, blameless in the workplace. Uh, So I think that's one as well, but self-control is the one I like to talk to guys a lot about. And that's not just, that's morally, that's, that's your mind, but that's your physical exercise. That's your eating. 
Um, I mean that, and I think particularly that's a good word for those in ministry. Uh, You know, we got to get our eating under control. We've got to exercise. We've got self-control begets self-control. So if I can get self-control in one area, it'll affect my spiritual life. That's a good word and a challenging word. And um, do you find, do men do that better in a community? The idea of self-control, is that better done? Yeah. Yeah. Practically, how do you see that play out? Yeah, women do everything, I think, better in some ways in a community. Um, a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, and goes against all sound wisdom, Proverbs tells us. Right. So I, I always say that the two greatest weapons of the enemy in a man's life are passivity and isolation. So I say okay. that all the time. Isolation is where the enemy is just going to devour you. So hmm. when a man's struggling with sexual sin, his first thing is to do is to confess it and get into community. Um, when a man is struggling with anger at home, his first thing to do is get in a community and confess it. When a man is struggling with self-control, he's not reading his Bible. Uh, he's overeating. He's not exercising. He's not taking care of himself. Hmm. Um, he needs to get in a community to get some accountability. Yeah. I, You know, I'm not a huge fan necessarily of getting guys in a room and everybody just shares all their junk and it becomes yeah. like the community of the messed up. Uh, I think there's a lot of churches that, that have form themselves around everybody's broken. We're all broken. So we talk about how broken we are. It's true. I think the better thing is you find a group of men that you're going to start walking with. You're going to read the Bible together. You're going to talk. And in the context of those relationships, I think you start talking to each other about how you can encourage one another in some of the areas which you need to improve. But community is essential uh, to growing in any area, but I think particularly in that self-control. I appreciate the distinction there between just sharing to share and um, unload it versus uh, sharing it for accountability. And I think right. that's uh, there's a definitely a difference, a difference between the two. Um, the mission of God, men on the mission of God. You talk a little bit about that um, and, and write about that. Somebody listening in, a lot of the people that they're listening in are, are living on the field, the mission they feel called. Sometimes they get there and they think, what, you know, what am I doing here? This The mission of God was not exactly what I thought. There's people living in the United States that listen to this podcast that God has, they're a CPA, they're a teacher, they're an electrician, they're a plumber, and that's what God has called them to do. Can you speak to, the, to a man on a mission? Sure, I can. Uh, I mean, so I'm writing a book to men, right? And we're talking about men. So a lot of the things I say are true for women too, but we're sure. talking about men. So one of the things I say is that men were created for a mission. I think there is something in the DNA and heart of every man that is seeking something. I think there was about 20 to 25 years ago, a lot of books being written about the men's need for adventure and men's need for excitement. And so we got to go out and camp and build right. stuff and make fires and all that. And I think it kind of misses the deeper issue that there is something in us that longs for adventure. But I think that longing is a longing to be a part of the mission of God. I I really Hmm. believe central to our heart, God has put us where we're not satisfied with just with doing nothing. And I think God wants us to be engaged in the mission of God. Um, That's And so I think when I'm talking to the tightest end, so I've got 150 guys I just finished with last Thursday morning. And I think for them, most, well, 95% of them are not in ministry. And so what I'm trying to do is see themselves not only committed to the unreached and all those kind of things, and we're sending men on trips and all that, but man, every day you walk out of the house and you're a man on a mission, right? And so yeah. speaking openly about the things of the Lord, just talking about Jesus, just um, engaging with lost people. I mean, just basic, simple things. But, you know, you mentioned I was a missionary for two and a half years and um, nothing compared to what many of your listeners are doing. I didn't have a family. I was single and that was easier in some ways. Um, man, it's really hard. I mean, being on the mission field is really, really hard. And 
One of the things I noticed the most is how easy it is when you get on the mission field to spend so much of your time just existing. Hmm. I mean, it takes so much time to go to the grocery store and to pay bills and to like get your car registration. (laughs) I mean, those are days, right? Yeah. And I think one of the tendencies I've noticed is, is so many people that I was seeing moving overseas and spending 60 to 70% of their time just living, just trying to exist. Yeah. So I think the challenge is how can I live in this context and be on mission with God every day? And I think part of that is just seeing that no distinction between going to the store, getting my car registered and all that, and then being on mission, that all of those things are me stepping out in the house every day on an assignment from God to minister to everyone I'm around. And so that's the, that's the message for everyone, full-time missionary, pastor, or plumber. Yeah, for sure. And it's the idea of existing. And, you know, I think anyone that's lived overseas that resonates. I mean, I'd say when I come back to the United States, I get 25% more uh, hard drive um, space on my hard. You know, I mean, it's there's yeah. just so much it does. It does take. And it we, the enemy, like I said, he, if he can, he finds ways. And so if he can frustrate you or, you know, demotivate you, um, man, he'll he'll take that just as easy as is anything else. And so. But 100 percent, I I hear that, see it and personally have struggled with it. It's, you know, when you get to the field, there's a lot um, culturally language. uh, And it's just some days you just want to sit home and and do nothing because you're you're embarrassed. You're afraid you can't ask for water. You can't you know, you make a fool out of yourself. You think you're semi intelligent. And and then you realize you're not so intelligent. You know, it's a humbling process. Um, But at the same time, recognizing that God has called you on mission and the reality of it is there's people that are sacrificing for you to be there. And yeah. um, and taking that seriously, praying for you, giving for you to be there and taking that seriously and not not falling into that comes back to that passivity thing and that complacency yeah. thing, because um, you can easily get into a rhythm that can lead you um, that way. So sing, you were single um, in Slovakia, correct? Right. That's right. So Slovakia. Um, you know, there's some there are some challenges. You mentioned that, you know that maybe it's easier to be single. I'll be honest with you. I think it's probably harder to be single uh, on the field than it is being married, to be perfectly honest. There's people that are listening into this podcast that are single, um, single men, single women. Any words of wisdom for them, things you've learned, things you processed, and encouragement for them as where they're at listening today? Yeah, I, I was saying easier in the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians sense of undistracted <laughs> devotion, maybe. And, you know, I mean, there is something easier about sure. going to the grocery store for my practically sure. easier. Right. Right. So, you know, I wasn't worried about, I didn't have to be home at a certain time. So right. I could, my ministry was just a little bit more unhindered. And sure. when I was I was partnered with three other basically missionary families and okay. I was watching the things they had to navigate with kids going to school. So yeah. that's what I, but as far as men, I was really lonely. I lived alone for about a year and a half. Praise God, this was before I had really access to the internet. Hmm. So um, this was um, 97 through 2000. And so hmm. I think I barely had an email address at that point. Wow. And I can't imagine the temptations if I would have had, um, I mean, I was having to call on a landline, you know, so no, yeah. none oh, of those yeah. kind of stuff. You remember that. Yeah. So um, I, I do think the temptations, um, are really extreme as a, as a single. What I probably learned from that is my need to make more effort to build community hmm. with people. Uh, probably not living alone, yeah. uh, if possible, even though some people may love to do that. Uh, finding a part of being a part of families, local families, national families, 
and just yeah. building those relationships. Anytime you get an invitation to go to dinner, you're going yeah. and you just engage as many families as you can. Um, and then, you know, I think I wish when I looked back on my time there, this is a whole nother podcast, Aaron, we need to do this again. But, uh, being a single missionary, I could talk yeah. about that for a while. Yeah. I think my tendency was to go home and to be alone a lot. And just because I can tend towards that anyway, um, as opposed to using that time to, to spend with people. So, hmm. uh, but it's a challenge. So I would just say that the necessity of being more aggressive and building other community is yeah. to me, the central thing there. Yeah. And now being on the other side of that, you're, you're married, you have kids. Do you intentionally reach out to singles and so maybe some ad- wisdom and advice for, for families that are on the field and uh, maybe they have some people that are single around them. You talked about invitations to dinner. How can they take steps to help create that community and not, push people to the edges. Is that, is that a sure, I got question? a group of, yeah, that's a great question. So I got a group of three men that I meet with every week. They're training to be pastors and they're in our program here at church. And one of them is very young and married. One of them okay. is young and just got engaged. And one of them is single and desperately wants to be married. And so this came up last week. Uh, we were reading a, a book on pastoral leadership and it talked about the family and yeah. he said, man, I really want to be married. And so I got married when I was 28, almost 29. And so I just said to him, I said, brother, you like, become the man God wants you to be, be faithful, trust the Lord in this, and don't resent, I think here, don't resent the season of life you're in, whether it's married or single. Yeah. Like, don't resent that. Um, God, God, that's, that's part of your, it's, it's the chapter and that's part of your God given assignment right now. Like part of your assignment right now is God has you single, um, for, you know, for a purpose. And so don't resent that, but engage in that fully and think, ask this question as a single, what, what could I do now that I could not do when I was married? Hmm. And I said this to this guy, I said, I said, okay, here's Daniel across the table from me. He's got a wife and they have a great marriage, but you can go out every night and, and mentor guys. You, you like, there's no limit to all those things you can do. And I said, would I rather be Aaron going home to his wife? Probably so. But Man, so think about what are the things, I think this is just the question. What are the things that I can do right now in this season that I'm not going to be able to do later? And yeah. let me do those things as yeah. well as I can and trust the Lord with the rest. It's just really hard. I think as a single missionary surrounded by married families, that's hard. Yeah. Oh, I'm that's sure. hard. I'm yeah. sure. And um, we went, Heather and I, we had been married, I think three years when we, when we got to Burkina, two years when we got to France. So I'd never been, but ton of respect um, for people that are living life on the field single. And mm-hmm. um, just, yeah, I just wish I would have uh, thought about a lot more in my younger years. So mm-hmm. um, 22 years in, I'm a lot more sensitive, a lot more uh, understanding than probably I was in my younger self and uh, made some mistakes for sure in that area. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor, it's been awesome to hang out with you today. And uh, you're just, you're a joy and uh, you can feel the love of Christ in your voice and your share as you share in your passion. Will you pray for us? Oh, I would love to. Let me just say before we go, um, any way I can help, I, I love missionaries. And so uh, anytime I get a chance to encourage or speak to missionaries. So uh, the book Titus 10 has discussion questions on the back and there's an e-version of it. And any way I can help with that, we've got yeah. video curriculum and a workbook coming out soon. But any way I can help minister to you, you can reach me at the church at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. And um, I just love to help in any way I can. But let me, I'll you. pray for it. All right. Father, you're so good to give us these, these uh, moments this morning. This is a gift from you. I'm thankful for it. I um, I pray for every person that's listening uh, to this podcast that they would just take a deep breath and they would be still before you and they would just be reminded of how much you love them and 
uh, are grateful for them. I pray that they would feel um, just very personally uh, your love and, and pleasure, that they would feel you saying in Christ, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I pray that you would encourage them deeply. I pray that you would love them well. I pray that you would um, reveal to them uh, the things that uh, maybe need to be changed as we're seeking to be the people you've made us to be, helping to be fruitful and faithful. I pray that they would be faithful on mission as well. I pray that you would help every one of them to lead people to Christ and that you would bless their ministries and help us to raise up men that we need it. We pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.